Cool. Hey, it's good to be back at North Church. I came to North Church in February 2020. You've had a little bit of change since then, haven't you? Like when I came to North Church in February 2020, my dear friend uh, Brett Mitchell was the pastor. Brett and I, Brett and Michelle and I go back to leading in youth group together in 1985. Um, and um, he was at uh, Brett and because also my wife uh, Lynn joined the leadership team of that year as well. So, um, so Brett and Michelle came to our wedding at the end of 1985 and then we went to Brett and Michelle's wedding in... Uh, 1986. I won't go through a year by year from there, but anyway. <laughs> but February 2020, I mean, like, um, been a bit of change in the world since then, hasn't there? Remember that little thing called COVID? You know, that happened. I, was, I must confess I was thinking about that while we were singing this morning, that, the song, The Blessing, you know, The Lord Bless You and Keep You, that song. It was actually released the Sunday before covid closed churches down. It was sung, I'm pretty sure, at Elevation Worship by uh, Kari Job and her husband, Cody Carnes, maybe? Forgive me, Cody, if I've got your name wrong. They actually released it on that Sunday, the last Sunday that uh, it, it, um, churches met in person in America. And, um, and um, if you know that song at all, you'll know that it went around the world and there were so many different versions of that song um, from different countries, it's a global blessing, things like that. I, I see those things from time to time, love going into those things. And I was thinking about that again, as fresh as we were singing that, and, you know, the Lord bless you and keep you. It's the, it's the um, ironic blessing from Numbers chapter 6, and, and the whole idea of the Lord wants to give you peace. And peace, that word peace is a, is a beautiful word in the Hebrew. I don't know much about Hebrew. I was very, wasn't very good at languages at school, at school, or at Bible college for that matter. But anyway... But I do know, that, I think I know one Hebrew word, and this is this one, peace. It's shalom. And, and it's, all, it's that whole sense of well-being in all of your life. You know, the totality of shalom and peace in that. I actually work, um, I work at the Baptist Union Victoria. That's what it says there. I work in the church health team. Um, but I'm also a school chaplain. And when I go into, into a, in a secular school, and uh, I'm part, I joined part of the well-being team there. I like to think of that when I go to school. I like to think of that I'm joining the Shalom team. I think that I'm there as God's person to bring and be an agent of Shalom in a school context. An agent of well-being there. As I say, I work at the BUV. Our, I just want to share you with what our vision at the BUV is. Our, our vision at the BUV is to have a union of flourishing churches with Christ-like followers that redeem society. So that's our desire for churches. That's our desire for your church, that you'll be a flourishing church. That's our desire for the church just over there. <laughs> They'll be a flourishing church. That the churches. The church just down there will be a flourishing church. The church over there will be a flourishing church. The church up there will be a flourishing church. And I've lost my sense of geography. I think that's north, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's north. Yeah. And so I spend a lot of time traveling uh, in, and a lot of different Sundays in different churches. Uh, and 
our prayer and my desire and what we invest in is that the, those churches will flourish. And so our job at the, what we call the BUV Support Hub, we used to call it the, the office. Support Hub sounds a lot better, doesn't it? Yeah, I like that. Our, our, our mission is to encourage, equip and empower local churches and communities of faith to advance God's kingdom. And that's our, that's our prayer and that's our desire. And so we come in and we do this. By the way, what we're not is we're, we're not the bosses. Like, we're not a hierarchical denomination. I'm not the bishop when I come here today. Uh, I have a friend who's an Anglican bishop. It seems like he has a lot of influence. And so, um, but our, we just come alongside. That's our job is to come alongside. So we don't tell you what to do. We just come alongside you and we might give you a few advice, but it's up to you what you do with it. And so uh, we're, we're, not in, in, we're not your bosses. I'm not here as the boss today uh, to do that. I thought I might introduce my family afresh to you. Some of you might remember uh, this is my family from when I would have introduced them back in 2020. But I'm assuming that not many of you remember me. If the, I don't know, was, was anybody remember being at church in February 2020 at North? You know, I, I've met a few people there. I remember a few of you. So that's great. So... It's great that there's a lot of you that didn't meet me as well. That means you've joined the church in the last three and a half years. So, yeah. Now, this is my family. Uh, this is, uh, that's me with my Geelong Premiership cap on. We're still the reigning Premier for a couple more weeks. <laughs> I mean, that didn't do too well this year, but anyway. I probably shouldn't have had my Premiership cap on when we took a family photo. Like, but anyway, I did. And I mentioned my wife, Lynn. That's her next to me, as you can see. We've been married since 1985. She was very young when we married. Clearly, clearly, yeah. So, mm. and there are two kids. Uh, that's Jesse at the back there. He's 19, uh, and Mia is 17. Both currently at work as we speak, uh, doing their part-time jobs. Jesse also has a full-time job. He has a full-time job and a part-time job, uh, and uh, he works. He loves being outdoors, and he works in either a nursery or a, a uh, artificial grass retailer. That's his sort of his. During the week, job is artificial grass, and then he works at a nursery on the weekends and on a loader. He probably is loading mulch into someone's trailer as we speak. Uh, my, wi- my wife, my daughter there, is probably making someone's coffee right now as we speak. She works, she's at school, she's in year 11, uh, doing a few year 12 subjects as well, just to keep her entertained. And um, so she's, uh, as I say, she's 17, but also works in a coffee shop on the weekends. Makes a good, makes a good latte. Makes a good latte. Yeah. It's interesting, I was thinking about my daughter who's 17. Well, when I was 17, I'd finished year 12. I finished at like a, you know, 16 and a half to 17 and a half was my year 12 year. Uh, and I actually was, I had my first full-time job. I went to uni for a little short time, but uni and me didn't mix too well. And so I ended up working uh, as, um, as a clerk in an insurance company. I got that job about six weeks before my 18th birthday, something along those lines. And my hourly rate was $2.49. Now, I know this story. Basically, the, the older you are, the smaller your hourly rate was in your first job. And so I'm sure there are people here who would be older than me who would have had a lesser hourly rate than I did at $2.49. That meant my first paycheck, because in those days it was a 40-hour work week, that's sort of slightly, you know, Jesse, my son, does a 38-week uh, week now, but my, my weekly paycheck was $99.60. Mm-hmm. 
And I still remember, I have a really strong memory of my first full week's paycheck. In those days, we, we, we got given a check and then we went downstairs to the bank who cashed it for us. So I came away from my bank from my first full week's pay with $99.60. And do you know what? I was a wealthy man. I was a wealthy man. Now, I was actually already following Jesus as a disciple. I was blessed enough to have grown up in a Christian family and then, as every person who grows up in a Christian family has to decide for themselves, am I going to, be, am I going to take on this following, you know, following Jesus for myself or am I going to not do that? Because it's, no, it's not automatic, in my understanding of it all, but you have to make that decision. And I'd made that decision through my high school years. And so, I remember thinking with um, holding this $99.60 in my hand, and I'm thinking, I wonder what God wants me to do with all this money. It felt like a huge amount of money to me. But I did actually ask the question, which in some ways is a bit remarkable, I'm honest about that. I didn't go and think about, you know, well, um, let's have pizza or something. I probably did that as well, but... It is true to say that I remember thinking, I wonder what God wants me to do with this money. Now, it was over 43 years ago, and do you know what? I still ask God the same question regularly. What does God want me to do with this money? Whether that's in my, don't get weekly, and we don't certainly don't say cash. My gosh, cash, what's that? found some in my phone today so there we are I was able to give some offering because I did anyway <laughs> don't usually have cash uh, I used to carry a wallet anybody remember wallets yeah purses yeah don't use them anymore anyway so anyway your pastor leaders invited me to, to speak today and, uh, and invited me to address this area of discipleship and I'm glad to do so because it's just an area of discipleship and and um, I love the Lord I love his word and I'm happy to speak upon upon that uh, and it's, in my sense of that, I mean, I'm not, it's not about this for me. This is actually about, I want to teach you about what the biblical principles of this are. I'm not here to, I'm certainly not here to beg you in any way. Of the, I'm here to remind you and to open up God's word to see what it says for us today. It, it's said that the three greatest ways the devil tries to get humans, you know, to get at humans is through money, sex and power. I'm very aware that could be a more of a male thing, and so ladies, you might have a female equivalent of it, I don't know, but, but, and power is what he tried to do, what the devil tried to do with Jesus in his temptations. You know, tried to get him to worship, tried to say, you abuse your power in those temptation passages. In, in Matthew's Gospel, it's only two chapters earlier, in chapter four. My conviction is for us in the Western world, and particularly for us in the church in the Western world, is the devil wants to have a go at us in this area of money. I think that's where he wants to do that. You know, for all our economic challenges, and they're real, and I accept that they're real, and my mortgage repayments tells me that they're real, and uh, my, um, you know, the, the weekly um, bill on the, on the grocery shopping tells me that it's real as well. Australia still sits number five on the Human Development uh, Index, the United Nations Human Development Index. In other words, we're, we are globally, and there's not much difference between the top ten, but so we're globally in the, in the top ten nations of the world. 
If any of you have been blessed to do with a bit of travel, I can see some of you have come from other countries. And, and, and so that, you know, you know that. We have, a, we have a, a lot of migrants who want to come to this country because it's a blessed country. And, we, and we're glad to have them here. We're glad to have you here for those of you who are born overseas. For all sorts of reasons, we're glad to have you. Mostly, I'm glad to have all the migrants of the world because of food. <laughs> the food that you bring. Thank you for the food that you bring. When I grew up, well, I grew up in a meat and three veg family. Anybody else grew up in a meat and three veg family? My gosh, wasn't our diet boring? It was so boring. Last night I went to a Turkish cafe and had a pide. You know what a pide is? Turkish pizza. We had wraps and things like that. Usually when we have a meal at our, at our house, I actually, whatever our meal is, I, I tend to say, and I thank God for the Italians who brought the, the you know, the lasagna, or I thank God for, for you know, the Vietnamese who brought the pho. I don't, however I say that properly, I don't know how to say that properly. But I thank God for people. That, anyway, it's by the by. You know, we do have a great interest in money. You know, our newspapers are full of this. There's always a money section in our newspapers. There's always a daily share market thing and there's always an update on that and how the superannuation is going and et cetera, et cetera. And money is a chief topic of interest in the world. It may surprise you that money is also a chief topic in the Bible. There are, I'm told, I didn't count these, 3,225 references to money in the Bible. I'm taking someone's word for it. Okay, I wasn't going to be prepared to count all those up. But this, this particular passage that I asked Lee to read for us is a key one where Jesus speaks about, about priorities and about money. And I want to sort of go through that passage a little bit here and give you some general principles and then I want to try to give some application to that. Now, I can't see a clock around. This is a really dangerous thing to give a preacher and not a clock around. My gosh, I better... What should I do there? Should I just ignore it or will I put my watch over out? I better not ignore it, better I? Don't worry about it, press preach. Yeah, I can't even see. Oh, there we go. That right. <laughs> Couldn't figure out the time because... Oh, there we go. That's good. Mm. Well, I don't want to bore you, okay? One of the things I hate doing, I hate going to church and getting bored, okay? I really hate getting bored at church. And you know what? Some young people here, I really hate when you... I hate it when I watch young people get bored at church. I really hate that. Because church shouldn't be boring. Because God's not boring. And church shouldn't be boring. And uh, it was actually a really powerful... I'm going off on a tangent here. But I went to this church uh, church on holidays once. And it was the most boring church I'd ever, I'd ever been to. And I remember just thinking, God... I was actually prayed, God... And I'm speaking to the young people who are here today, particularly the teenagers. I'm thinking, God, may those teenagers not think that you are boring because their church is. So I don't want to bore you. So anyway, hopefully I don't. Let me put, run through you through some key principles of, from this passage. And I reckon the most important principle is this, is that you can't serve two masters. And, and Jesus said these words. He said, he said, no one can serve two masters. You, only have, you can only have one master. Okay? You either hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both what? God and money. Now, the old versions of, of, that, of this passage actually used to have money with a capital M. I preferred that because I believe strongly that it's a rival God. It's a rival God. 
the really old versions of the Bible used to have God and mammon. Because this was that you because you can't serve it. So you've got to you got to figure out who's going to be your master. Is God going to be your master, or is money going to be your master? You got to settle that early. Critical issue: Who's your master? And Jesus, sort of in that same principle, he talks about there's a link between your treasure and your heart. He says, "Where your treasure is, your heart will be also." So where your treasure is, where you're investing your money, that's where your heart's going to be. And it's actually, I reckon the reverse is true also. Where your heart is, that's where you put money. That's where you put money. You know, wherever, whatever you want to choose to, wherever you want to choose to invest your money, it'll be because your heart is involved with it. You know, once, one of my good mates once was starting a new mission work and uh, looking for missionary support. And I gave, and I joined his mission support team. Can I give you a secret? I did not believe in his mission in the slightest. I actually didn't believe in what he was doing. But I loved him, so I gave. Why? Because my heart was engaged. My heart was engaged, so I gave that. Clearly my heart was engaged a little bit when I bought my premiership cap for Geelong, wasn't it? (laughs) And I invested a little bit of treasure in, in that. I saw during this, just, just during this week I read a newspaper report that Geelong made so much money out of memorabilia from their premiership, you know. <laughs> they made the most money, yeah, so I guess I was one of them as well. Anyway, you know, we provide for our loved ones, we support where we can, but Jesus is wanting us to speak about where your heart is. And then he goes on to say, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy where thieves break in and steal, store up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Ever had anything stolen? Yeah, I have. Yeah. Ever had moths have a go at your clothes? Yeah. We've got those little things, those little balls, those smelly balls, and the little things that my wife hangs up so that, you know, the... The insects don't do that. Ever had anything rust out? Um, <laughs> cars in particular, they rust out, don't they? Yeah. We just had the, our son just broke our dishwasher the other week. That was lovely, wasn't it? It was a bit old, and you know he grabbed it a bit hard, and oh, the handle came off in his hand. So let's get a new part. But of course, no, we don't have parts for that sort of stuff anymore, do we? So those things break down, and so on. And so what Jesus is saying, I mean, we, we need these things. We're not, we're not saying we don't do have those things. I, I'm very glad to see that you're all clothed today. You know? It would be, you know, church would not be good if that wasn't true, would it? It would not be good. So we need clothes. We're not talking about, you know, being silly about any of this sort of stuff. You know, we're, we, we need a car to get around. Most of us need a car to get around. So we're not talking about, you know, being silly about these things. But we are talking about where's your treasure? Where's your, where's your, where's your head investment? You know, these days, it's compulsory. We have, you know, if you're an employee, your employer has to pay you superannuation. It's compulsory. It's gone up again, hasn't it? I think it's 10, what is it, 10 and a half, 11%, 12%, anybody know? I don't know what it is anymore. 
It used to be, uh, I don't know what it used to be. But anyway, they have to do it because in, they're saying you need that money for you know, when you're retired and things on the side. So you'll need all that. So there's an investment thing. So it's inevitable that if you're an employee, I'm an employee of two, two positions, that you have investments. I have a superannuation policy. It's in, so again, we're not talking about, don't worry about that, you know. Let's do it ethically. Let's, let's see that it grows and let's, we'll, we'll provide for our future. But again, we're not talking about that. We're going beyond that, aren't we? You got that? We're going beyond that. We're, going, we're investing in heaven. How can you invest in heaven? You know, Jesus, again, in Luke chapter 12, he talked about people who just store up stuff. He had a word for these people. Foolish. Foolish. And so he then goes on to say, this passage goes on in this, this really important passage. He says, don't worry about material things. They're temporary and ultimately unimportant. So, you know, whether you eat at Macca's or a sandwich at home, doesn't matter. Whether you have a Coke Zero or water, doesn't matter. Whether you wear designer clothes or Kmart special, doesn't matter. Jesus said that's what the pagans get concerned about. I didn't put that whole passage up there. I'm not sure it fitted on there. And I love when I go to walk, when I walk out and, and you know, walk outside my home and not, live not too far from the Werribee River and I love, and love to walk down there and I love to see the birds down there. A lot of bird life down there. And I, whenever I see a bird, I'm reminded about this. You know, about the, uh, where is it? The birds of the air. They're there and there in that passage. I'm sure I heard them, isn't there? <laughs> You know, the, God worries about the birds. God sees the birds. And so he sees us too. You know, all the, all the clothing that we can invest in and so on. And then he talks about how the, look at the, the, the flowers of the field. Been traveling a bit recently up in the country areas and the canola fields are in beautiful, beautiful yellow. I stopped and took a picture of it and just because it's so beautiful. I didn't go in out into the fields, okay? I didn't ruin those farmers' plants or anything like that. I stood by them. Bit of thing about that. We're more important than those. We're more important. We're more valuable. I found it. Look at the birds of the air, verse 26. Couldn't find it there for a while. Look at the birds of the air. Your father feeds them. You are more valuable than them. You are more valuable. It's the principle of Genesis in there. We're more valuable. Jesus didn't die on the cross for the birds and the animals. He died for you. That's a proof of your value. So don't worry about those material things. Instead, what? First, seek first God's kingdom. Six, chapter 6, verse 33. You know, I set my alarm most mornings for 6.33 in the morning. And I do that for this verse. I do that for this verse. So that the, when my alarm goes off, the first thing I think about is my clock says 6.33 and that points me to this verse. So you could, you know, for your 7 o'clock prayer meeting, whatever, you could, be, you know, set your my, my son works at, um, at uh, starts work at 7 o'clock and, and I take him to work 
he unfortunately rode his car off a little while ago, so I take him to, to work. And so I set my alarm. I don't have to get up at 6.33. I choose to get up at 6.33. I'm always a little bit reluctant to say that because some of you have got up at 4.45 to go to work or something along those lines, or some of you have got up early to pray way before that. And then there are other people who think, 6.33, my gosh, that's early. Anyway, I choose my alarm will go off tomorrow at 6.33 so that I can remember to seek first God's kingdom every day. To seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. And then all the other things take their place. They take their rightful place. Sometimes in worship... I mean, thinking first, what does that mean? Sometimes in worship, I often, I've done this with me today. I've brought my, I've got my phone here, partly so I can quote from it, partly so that it stays in my pocket so that I get my steps up. (laughs) I bring my wallet and my keys with me up here today. And sometimes what I do is I actually put them down in front of me. See, my keys represent, of course, there's, that's my car key, and that's my wife's car key, and that's my house key. Yeah, don't have keys to work anymore because you know we don't use keys anymore. This is my this is my B of E key. This is my swipe card, and then my, I've got my other one for for the school in my, in the car, and of course my phone. Well, what does that represent? It, it represents, you know, my communication. I've got my all my credit cards there as well. I've got access to my bank account on my phone these days, like we all do, etc. So it's like these things sort of represent my life. And sometimes in worship, I will actually just put them down in front of me just to say, Lord, I'm just releasing them afresh to you. I'm saying they actually belong to you. The job I have, how did I have that job? God provided it. How do I have the house that I have? God provided it. How do I have the cars that I have? God provided it. How do I have the money in my bank? Thank you. I was hoping someone was going to say that. Thank you, Marika. So I remind myself of these things. To seek first. So therefore, if I can do that, get that right, the ownership question, who owns stuff, is sorted. And so then the question... If the ownership stuff is sorted out, then the question is stewardship. Is that God has entrusted stuff to me. So what do I do with that? And the principles are the same, whether you have a quarter of a million dollar annual income or $5 of pocket money. Principles are actually the same. Because still, it's the ownership. You know, when I used to get $5 pocket money, where did that come from? Well, mum and dad, yeah. Where did it come from? From them. From God. And if I had, (laughs) I don't have a $250,000 annual income, but if I did have, where would it come from? I've got friends who do, who understand this principle. Who've got, in fact, they've got, Friends who've got way more than that who understand this principle, understand that it all comes from God, and you've got to figure out what they do with it. It was one of the, one of the fascinating things was 
again, because I didn't understand this, but like, like a really wealthy Christian businessman that I know employs about 300 people. And he told me, I feel responsibility for 300 families. There was an aspect I didn't think about. So how do we put these in the in, in the practice? Principle number one is be thankful. Be thankful for what you have. My uh, the, the 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 assistant principal at the school that I was at, that I am at, she's now gone. She she spoke to the students about having a gratitude journal. And I'm thinking, why is this secular principal talking about being thankful? Isn't that a God thing? Because that says, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. It actually is because the biblical principles work in real world as well. I've discovered this in the primary school, is a lot of things they talk about are biblical principles. They just don't put biblical references to them. You know, so that they... they you know, I've talked about this beforehand. You know, a lot of things that they want to put into practice in school life are actually biblical principles. So I have a gratitude journal. I write three things in my, in my journal every day that I'm thankful for. Every day. What are you thankful for? Give me something you're thankful for. I'm, this, is, this is the time to speed back to me. Okay, I know, I know preachers sometimes do this as rhetorical questions. But what are you thankful for? Family? Family? Good. So what was that? Salvation, that's a great thing to be thankful for. We've, we've been re- reflecting on that. Your wife. Oh, your wife. I'm oh, sorry, I thought it was your wife. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Your life, yeah. And your wife. Mm. Yeah. What else? Your home. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if I've had a bad day, my gratitude journal says um, that I have a roof over my head, I have food to eat, um, you know, um, I, I'm warm. That means I've had a bad day. <laughs> if I had a good day, I've got lots of other things to be thankful for, to be grateful for. This morning I wrote in my gratitude journal, I was thankful that I got to see my friend Todd who lives in Sydney. We met at the football yesterday and we had dinner last night. I also said, I've already told you what I, another thing I was thankful for that I wrote in my gratitude journal. I was thankful for the Turkish bloke who made me my Turkish pizza. <laughs> God bless him. I mean, he's a, probably a Muslim. I guess, I'm guessing he's probably a Muslim. But I'm thankful for him. Makes a good Turkish pita. Can't remember what my other one was. My third, my third one this morning. Sorry? No, that's tomorrow's one. <laughs> I'll reflect on that, you know, because I do it in the morning. What am I thankful for yesterday? Yeah. So be thankful. And as uh, Sue said, Sue, have I got your name right? Yes. As Sue said, I'm thankful for salvation. That's my starting place. And so that's why we need these communion. That's why we need communion. Why? I mean, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Why? Because we, we forget. We forget. We need this stuff to remind us. I love this. This is the only time I get to eat and drink in church. (laughs) Another good thing about it. So we start with that. And then 
we start with thanksgiving. So then we go into be giving. So giving in that. So Now, the old covenant people, Jesus, again, in this communion time, I don't know whether you picked this up, he talked about this is the new covenant poured out in my blood. The old covenant people from the Old Testament, you know, Malachi 3 talks about a tithe. Now, that was a tithe was like 10% of your income. And it was so strong, and that passage in Malachi says, if you're, like, if you're giving 9% of your income, you are robbing God. That was the old covenant, Okay. So that was an old covenant's a bit condemnatory in that sense. I'm not here to condemn, okay? And I don't see that Jesus is here to condemn either, by the way. I don't think Jesus condemned people. But, the, but, but he did say, well, you should keep doing that without neglect. And it seems to me that's a, that's a starting place in that. Because I think as a new covenant person, I'm not going to be less generous than an old covenant person. Because it was like the old covenant thinking was a little bit like, 10% belongs to God, but 90% belongs to me. New Covenant thinking says 100% belongs to God and I'm a steward of it. And so, it would seem to me that's still a good, a good place to be thinking about. And it's certainly how I've operated in my life ever since I earned $99.60 in my first job. That I understood somehow that $9.96 belonged to God. You know, it was, was, you know, it was the starting place of that. So tithing is a good start. I always think that's a good start. It's a good bottom line. I say that's been the practice of my life even when I was unemployed. Had a period of my, I've had a few periods of my life where I've been unemployed in between ministry roles and things along those lines. But even in that place, actually that was really easy to tithe. You know when it's the easiest place to tithe? When you've got nothing. Because a tithe of nothing is nothing. My giving was like perfect at that time. But then generosity starts beyond that. And, it's, and we've already quoted from this passage. Uh, Lee's already quoted from this passage uh, already from this. Remember Paul to the Corinthians, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. And each person should give what they've decided in their heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, because God loves a cheerful giver. I really love that. You know what it says? Each person should give what he or she has decided in their heart to give. You do it. You decide. It's you before God. It's you before God. You decide. Not under compulsion. You know, if you don't give... You're not accountable to him. You're not accountable to church leaders. You're not accountable to me. You're accountable to God. When I give an offering in any context, I, here's the way I've, I've figured it out over a journey. You know, sometimes you, you, you might have a, be in a situation where you feel like God's called you to give, but you're not really sure how that money is going to be spent. Anybody ever had that experience? Were they a bit worried about that? Yeah. I figured this out. I thought, I'm going to give it to God. I'm not giving it to the organisation. I'm not giving it to the church. I'm not giving it to a person. I'm actually, I'm giving my money to God. And whoever's got responsibility to look after that money, they are accountable to God for what they do with that. Because that's holy money. And if they waste holy money, they are accountable to God. And so I got really strong on that. Really passionate about that. 
And then I had to be responsible for the money that was, people were giving <laughs> when I was pastoring a church. <laughs> and so all that, all that sort of you know, heavy stuff just came and <laughs> weighing myself down under that because I have a responsibility. Because when I was a pastor and working with the church leaders and so on, I had responsibility to figure out what we're going to do with that. You know, if we, and if we do that, are we, are we wasting God's money? It was, a, it was a really serious thing that I took on board. So you decide. It's up to you. It's part of your own personal walk with God for you to be thinking around this. And you will decide what you, what you, what you feel like that you should give. And I could tell you a thousand stories of how when people do this, God shows them what to do God shows them what not to do. You know what? I really love it. I've, sort of, I've learned in my life to, to, to listen to God in this area. You know, if I go to a, uh, somewhere where there's an offering, I will ask God, what do you want me to do? And I've learned to listen to him in that. And sometimes God says, let this one go. And that's awesome. And I love it when God says, let this one go. And then they report at the end that the need that was there was all met. I've been obedient. You know, ultimately, if God said, don't give and I gave, I would be a, being a disobedient. Which is a pretty weird way to think about it. Because you'd think that God would want me to give. But if God says, don't give and I give, I'm being disobedient. And so I, I've learned to think along those lines. And the last one, and this is really the key thing, is actually trusting in Him. Again, I've seen so many so many different things over the journey. I want to give you one last story because it's a pretty cool story, I reckon, about trusting God in finances. It's about 2005, I reckon, maybe 2006. And we had our firstborn. Jesse was a new baby. Um, and uh, so Lynn wasn't working outside the home. So we were a one-income family. And... Um, I went along to this scripture union thing. I think it was about doing stuff in schools or something along those lines. I can't actually remember what it was about. Uh, and I got there. It was a Wednesday. It was sort of an all-day, 10 till 4, sort of 10 till 3 kind of thing. And so a, a training event. And I didn't realise when, when I got there that you were actually supposed to pay for it. And it was a Wednesday... And my pace, you know, the, we used to, in those days, we used to take money, cash out of our bank. Remember cash? Remember cash? I think I remember cash. We used to, anyway, we used to take our weekly allowance, you know, our weekly budget thing out of the ATM on Thursday. And this is Wednesday. And I haven't got anything. I've got nothing. It's exhausted. The weekly thing has been exhausted. I didn't budget that for that $5. It was a $5 event. That wasn't a big lot of money. Anyway, in the middle of it, I had to go off and go to the, uh, the aged care home nearby and do, a, do the monthly church service there. I was on responsibility for that, for that particular that time. And do you know what they do? They, they take up an offering and they gave me some money. You want to guess how much they gave? Five bucks. That was my speaking fee. Five bucks. Lee, what do you think of that as a speaking fee? That's not a great speaking fee, is it? Let's be honest, mate. 
it's exactly what I needed. I had a $5 need and God provided me $5. Is that cool or what? Is that cool or what? And so, you know what? That builds your faith. That builds your faith. Because if I had a $5 need and God provides a $5 thing, next time when God tells me in, in a giving context, all right, I want you to give $300 that you haven't got. Have I got confidence that God's going to provide? Absolutely I have. So when God says, I want you to give $1,000 that you haven't, haven't, you haven't got. You know, a little bit later on, we had a little church thing going on for some building stuff and I'm the pastor. I've got to lead in the giving and all that sort of stuff. I've got to be, you know, taking responsibility and all that. I haven't got a spare $1,000. But, but, you know, I've got to do something. I pledge $1,000. One time in my life, I got an insurance refund. $1,011. We got to have coffees as well. You know? So I've learned the principles at $5. So when the $1,000 one comes, or later on when God challenged me to give a year's salary over a period of time, I'm used to it. I'm used to it. I've, I've tested it out under the $5 ones so that I can trust God with all my heart and not lean on my own understanding when the bigger ones come. And God has provided You know, generosity. One last story on generosity. When I first started in ministry, this was back even before I met Brett and Michelle, a couple of years, three years before that. I finished at that first job that I had. Remember that first job that I had that paid me $2.49 an hour? You know, by the end of two and a half years later, my week, my hourly rate had gone up to $5.47. That's more than double. That's, you know, that wasn't bad. Again, that was God's blessing. I could see God's hand in that. Got some, you know, got some age growth, you know, because I went, had an 18th birthday, my pay went up, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But also responsibilities. God used that job in a great way for me. And then God called me out of that into, you know, it was my church had this had this great little training program, and I'm so blessed to have had this training program. There was only one slight problem: there was no salary attached. So you walked by faith and had that whole faith thing. and So I, I got a little missionary support team, just like missionaries do. And I had a bloke in, my, in, my, who, who, in, my, in that team, his name was Ken. He was, a, he was a, one of the youth leaders. So you know, youth leader, so he's not, you wouldn't think he's a wealthy guy. You know, Ken decided he was going to give 100 bucks a month to my support in 1983. And I was in that program for six years. Halfway through it was when I met Brett and Michelle. And uh, then I got out of the way so Brett could leave in that, in that ministry after that. But he, he gave $100 a, $100 a month for six years. Never missed. Never missed. Now, that's 1983 to 1988 inclusive. I had a look, I had a look on the internet the value of $100 in 1983 is now worth $305. So now put it in today's dollars. So in today's dollars, Ken supported me $305 a month for six years. 
How awesome is that? Like, very awesome, right? You know what is even more amazing? I asked Ken to step down as a youth leader halfway through that. Because it wasn't quite working. And he still supported me. $305 a month in this equivalent to that. That's honouring. That's generosity right there. When you're a recipient of generosity, you know, you ought to pay it forward and pay it on. Pay it on. Anyway, here, that's a little, I mean, I could, that's like, I could make that part one of a 10-part series if you want. I could come back in the next nine weeks and keep going on. Because there's so much in the scriptures about discipleship in this area. Critical area to get right. Why is it critical area to get right? Because the very first thing that I talked about is that there's a competition for your soul between God and money. And don't think because you're a Christian you've got it all sorted out. It's an ongoing competition. It's a competition every day, every week, every month. I think of that every day, every week, every month. I think about, I set my alarm for 6.33 every morning so I can think about getting, thinking about getting, seeking God first every day. And pretty much every morning, the, you know, the song comes up, the sun comes up, it's a new day dawning. Time to sing your song again. That comes in my mind pretty much at about 6.33 and a half every day. Because I'm thinking about, trying to think about God every day. I think about that every time, every, every pay period. I set up my direct debits. I'm giving to my church. I say to my wife at the appropriate Sunday church, hey, sweetie, we gave this week. Because you don't see it quite as much. In some ways, that's why the physical offering is, you know, you're putting something in there. There is something around that. But anyway. Oop, Sagame, it's time to go. Oop. God bless you. God bless you. See you later. God bless you. We look forward for the reports. There's a kid, honestly, it was covering my Facebook this week. There's a kid who's just turned 18 this week, right? His mum and dad came to our small group at our place on a Thursday night. They went from our place to the hospital, had the baby that night, and they're at small group next week. <laughs> so I'm trusting they're coming back next week with a baby in their arms. <laughs> oh, dear. I reckon it's time I prayed, hey? I reckon it's time I prayed. I want to pray for you. Okay, is that okay? Yeah. Happy to pray for you? I'm not going to pray for the church right now. I'm going to pray for you individually. I'm, going to, okay, I'm just going to scan my eyes around the room. If, you, if your eyes are open during this prayer time, you'll see that my eyes are open. Okay? It's a little secret. I actually pray with my eyes open. It's so I can know what's going on when I'm praying. Because if God's doing something, I want to know about it. Anyway, that's by the way. But I want to pray for you. Lord, I want to pray for every single person here in this place. Lord, there are people here today whom this is an extraordinary difficult challenge to think about this there are people to here in this room who live week to week and money is incredibly tight and this is an incredible challenge for them but lord i want to ask that you would help them that they can trust you in this area i want to pray for people who who are in a place of relative comfort 
Lord, I want to pray that you, they might know what you are calling them to do in this area. We pray for the, for the, even for the family that just left us, it, 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 emblematic of, of a season of life where kids are little and it's tough and they're on one income, it's tough. Those $5 decisions become really big. I pray for single parents who are amongst us and this is, this is an incredibly hard thing for them as well. Life is fragile and money is, is not easy. I pray for them in that season of life. I want to pray for the teenagers who are here. Ones who might just have their first job and thinking about it like I thought about it in my first job. Or maybe they haven't even thought about it, but now they have to because I've talked about it. I want to pray for the kids who get their pocket money and learn the principles while they're young. I want to pray for the people who feel just so overwhelmed by this. And when, and when this little sheet that's in front of us was talked about, I just felt I can't do anything. I feel so overwhelmed. Lord, I pray for those who feel overwhelmed by their finances. I pray for your hand to be upon them as well. Bless them and lead them. Pray for each and every person who's in this room, who's responding and thinking, Lord, what are you saying to me today? Lord, for this, some, of the, some people here, this is pretty new teaching. It's pretty difficult and hard to know what to do. So, Lord, I pray that you'd be leading them and guiding them also. So, Lord, I lift each one to you in this discipleship area. That they would know what you're saying to them and be able to walk in your ways. And I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And because I prayed with my eyes opened, I saw these people came up behind me as I, were, as I was praying. So I'm guessing we're going to sing a song.